Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canada's Great War. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate, or you can go to buymeacupofcoffee slash CraigU. All of these links are also in my show notes. And for people who donate, I have various levels of benefits. For $5, you get a thank you at the start of the next episode of Canadian History X, Canada's Great War, and from John to Justin, and on social media. For $10, you get everything from the $5, plus this episode is sponsored by, with your name at the start. Also, I'll state it's sponsored by you on social media. For $20, everything from the $5 and $10, plus a second episode sponsored by you, and promotion of something you're working on. And for $50, everything from the $5, $10, and $20 plus, you get to choose a topic for me to cover on Canadian History X. And on that note, I want to say thank you to Diane, who bought me five cups of coffee on Buy Me a Cup of Coffee. Thank you so much for that. I truly appreciate it. It helps keep all of this going. I do this full-time. It can be a lot of work, and I gotta pay rent, so thank you again. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird. C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram and TikTok where I put up daily videos about Canada's history. Just go to my username, Bairdo37. And you can find weekly videos on Canada's history on my YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash C slash Canadian History X. If you want to find transcripts of every episode I've ever done, you can go to my website, CanadaEHX.com. And there's over 700 posts on Canada's history there. Now, we're going to be talking about the Battle of Thiepval Ridge, and I've heard it pronounced Thiepval and Thiepval. I'm going to say Thiepval, because that just works the best for me with my Albertan accent, and I hope it works for you guys too. So, let's begin. With Canadians entering into the Battle of the Somme in September at the Battle of Corselet, they would be thrown back into the fray after several German victories at various locations along the front. This led to the need for Thiepval to be captured so the Germans would be moved off the ridge. It would be the reserve army that would take on this task of which the Canadian Corps was part of. The Germans had an excellent position on the ridge, which allowed them to see the Allied rear areas on the southern slopes that led to Albert. The front, which extended from Thiepval to Corselet, was split into two with the goal of taking Thiepval Ridge. The 2nd British Corps would take the left ridge, while the Canadian Corps would take the right ridge. The 1st Canadian Division was given the task of taking trench lines as these trenches linked with the redoubts that the British 2nd Corps was going after. The Canadians would need to clear several areas including the Hessian Trench and the Regina Trench. Preparations for the attack began three days before the assault with a constant artillery barrage harassing German positions. Tear gas was used to silence mortars on September 24th and the Reserve Army prepared to attack on September 26th at 12.35pm. At one minute before the attack, the machine guns of the British 2nd Corps and the Canadian Corps began to conduct overhead fire, and at zero hour, a barrage from 800 guns and howitzers began to help protect the advancing troops. The men would be advancing in full daylight towards the German position that had a clear line of sight on them. The Canadian troops of the 2nd Division began to move forward in two waves, followed by a mopping up party, and then two more waves. The 6th Brigade was immediately successful with the 29th Battalion taking the enemy frontline trenches northeast of Corselet within 10 minutes. The 31st Battalion would encounter machine gun fire from the Germans and manage limited gains of land. The 28th Battalion was ordered to make another attack on the Popalm Road with their two remaining tanks. 
Unfortunately, one tank broke down before ever making it to the starting line, while the other was destroyed by the Germans after they saw it stop outside battalion headquarters. The 3rd Brigade then sent the 14th and 15th Battalions, with both meeting heavy resistance from the Germans. Despite this, the 14th made good progress towards Sudbury Trench and was able to take 40 prisoners, and by 1pm, the battalion was moving forward to the eastern part of Kenora Trench to take its final objective. The taking of the objective was described as such, quote, It seems that the machine gun barrage gave warning to the enemy of what to expect. Certainly the attack was not an entire surprise, for when the second wave climbed the parapet, the enemy had lined his trenches and was firing heavily. In spite of this lashing rifle and machine gun fire, the attack swept into the German line, proof that the battalion had established contact with the enemy being furnished five minutes after zero, when 45 prisoners were bundled back to the Canadian trenches. Little desire to fight was shown by the enemy at this stage, the number of dead bodies strewn about indicating that the preliminary bombardment had inflicted heavy losses. End quote. Unfortunately for the 15th Battalion, they were meeting unexpected resistance from the Germans, while the 31st Battalion was also held up on the left flank of the 14th. This resulted in the 14th being exposed on both of its flanks and the Germans started a heavy counterattack. Kenora Trench would see a great deal of combat, with Germans sending in bombing parties and machine gun fire erupting over the next two days. By September 27th, the Trench will have changed hands twice, and the 14th Battalion was forced to fall back towards Sudbury Trench. The fighting in the Kenora Trench is described as such, quote, The men of the Royal Montreal Regiment were experiencing a severe test of their courage and endurance. Both flanks remained in the hands of the enemy, as the 31st Battalion on the right had been checked short of its final objective, as had the 15th on the left. Three German counterattacks were launched during the afternoon, but these were beaten back and left a number of prisoners in Canadian hands. End quote. By 3 p.m. of the 27th, with two-thirds of the trench fallen, the only officer alive and unwounded was Lieutenant Holliday, who retired into a reserve trench where he saw to the evacuation of the wounded and issued the order to withdraw. The 16th Battalion would arrive to reinforce him and his men, and Holliday then collected 17 men and with these men went back to take the trench. The attack with this small force was described as such, quote, Amongst his men, he distributed seven tins of water, a shortage of which had caused some inconvenience the previous day. What the Germans in Kenora Trench thought when the spectacle of an attack by 17 men presented itself, no one will ever know. Perhaps they imagined that the water tins contained Canadian frightfulness. By that as it may, the majority fled, some half-dozen surrendered with little more than a show of resistance. End quote. In the diary of the 16th Battalion, the soldiers came upon a German trench and saw a grisly scene before them, they relate, quote, The trench, about 80 yards long, was a gruesome spectacle. The Germans had manned it in force, but instead of standing on the fire step to fire over the parapet, they had come out and lain on the slope in front. The shrapnel of the supporting artillery had found the range of this ground to a nicety. A few of the enemy had been killed where they lay. Others had struggled to get down into the trench again, but had been caught up in the artillery in the act, and they were found by the 16th hanging over the parapet, head downward dead. On the bottom of the trench lay many dead and dying, including a machine gun crew rushing their gun into action who were killed to a man. End quote. The 2nd Brigade was required to advance over the highest point of the ridge, with the 5th and 8th Battalions attacking on the right and left, and the 10th Battalion reinforcing each with a company of troops. Machine gun fire was heavy and rained down on the Canadian troops, but the Canadians were able to make it through, and they began to take the trenches. By the night of September 26th and morning of September 27th, the operation was considered to be a success so far, 
and the British had managed to secure all of Thiepval except for a small corner of the village, as well as the western half of the Zalern Trench. Unfortunately, the Germans still occupied the high ground of the ridge. In a letter home published by the Regina Leader Post, it states, quote, We went over hopping the parapet simultaneously with the opening of a barrage of the fire of the Zalern Trench, our first objective. The battalion was magnificent. Not a man showed a sign of funk, and the charge was really a walk, held up at intervals to let out barrage life. End quote. The writer would describe the actions of Lieutenant Cresswell, stating, quote, He was having the time of his life, rooting Germans out of dustouts and shell holes and collecting odd souvenirs here and there. I saw him at one shell hole revolver in a hand, where a German was hiding. The German popped out and started to beat it. Come back here, you fool, shouted Cressy, but the Hun kept on running. Cressy leveled his revolver, but was loath to shoot the man in the back since he was obviously running because he was rattled. End quote. With the ridge still in the hands of the Germans, the 2nd Canadian Division was ordered to secure the front line northeast of Corselette, while the 1st Division was to attack Regina Trench to link up with the British. It was the hope of General Bing that the Canadian Corps would have Canora and Regina Trenches completely in their hands before the 1st Canadian Division relieved the 2nd Canadian Division. Unfortunately, Canora Trench was lost the morning of the 27th to the Germans for a second time. The 14th Battalion was sent in to make a final attack at 2 a.m. on September 28th. Only 75 men were available after two days of fighting, and the attack was hampered by German flares, mud, and rain. The assault was called off within half an hour. This one battalion was hit hard by the battle, losing 10 officers and 360 other troops over the course of the entire battle. The 15th Battalion would suffer as well, losing two officers and 115 soldiers. Another 10 officers and 213 soldiers had been wounded, one man was gassed, and two men were taken prisoner. The 31st Battalion would see 60 men killed, 209 wounded, and 113 missing. Kenora Trench would remain in the hands of the Germans for five more days, while the Regina Trench would stay with the Germans until October 21st. A renewed attack was conducted at noon, September 29th, with the 3rd Canadian Division, and this would result in heavy hand-to-hand combat and 300 yards of trench gained. By the next day, the Germans had regained 200 yards of that trench. By the end of the battle, the 1st Canadian Division had suffered heavy losses, with the total losses in the battle concluding the British being 12,000. An official correspondent would see the high death toll differently, stating, quote, This great success was won at a very small cost, thanks in part to the excellence of the artillery and in part to a real collapse of the German defense. End quote. The Vancouver Daily World would describe the scene after the battle, stating, quote, a blackish heap of dirt on the crest of a ridge is all that remains of Thiepval. On the top of that heap, there still rise a few black sticks, tree trunks slivered and hewn by shellfire, which have escaped being downed by a direct hit. End quote. Most of the initial news reports would center on the British taking Thiepval, but the Western Association Press would also mention the Canadians, stating, quote, There is little doubt that the Canadians were engaged in the most recent fighting on the Somme. End quote. Lieutenant Charles Edwards Reynolds took part in the battle and would receive the Distinguished Service Order for an attack on German positions that were firing on the 29th Battalion's position. Along with Sergeant W.A. Tennant, Reynolds led the attack, killed two German officers, and the strong point was taken. Tennant and Reynolds were the only two men to survive from the party. W.M. Scallon, a former employee of the Regina Leader, was awarded the Military Medal for his actions in the battle. He was awarded the medal for carrying on under difficult circumstances according to the official report. Sadly, Scallon would not survive the war, losing his life on April 10, 1917. On September 28, 1916, Clifford Wells would write home to his family in Canada the following description of the battle, quote, There was a heavy bombardment on at the time, and the sight was so wonderful that I halted my party for a quarter of an hour to watch the show. 
All around us, gun flashes were lighting up the sky, the sound of the guns merging into one interrupted roar. Overhead, a couple of searchlights were searching the clouds for hostile aircraft. In the distance, you could see shells bursting over the trenches, the shrapnel shells bursting in the air with a red flash, the high explosives bursting on the ground with a whiter light. Flares by the score were being shot into the air along the line, some of them white, some red, some green. It was a sight which no words can adequately describe. End quote. Private Chase Rowland from Red Deer would write about his experience in the battle, which included being wounded. He would state, quote, A large Fritz shell landed right in our quarry, and I got three pieces of it. One broke the first finger close to the hand, another slashed the second finger but did not break it, and a shrapnel bullet hit me just below the collarbone, about an inch to the right of the center, and passed straight through, broke the fourth rib behind, and stuck about half an inch under the skin of my back. It's sore where it is, but my lung was a fright for the first two weeks. End quote. As Roland recovered, another shell came in two minutes later and exploded next to him. He would state, quote, A shrapnel ball the size of a marble hit me in the palm of the hand and stopped just under the skin near my wrist. The doctor took it out two days ago. Lucky it hit no bones. End quote. Corporal Alan Routon would write home to his mother of the battle, stating, quote, We had only gone 30 yards when I got hit in the thigh and arm and I was rendered whores to combat. My dear old friend Charlie Gordon was one of the two officers killed in action. He had just time to stop and shake hands with me for the last farewell before he pushed on and his death in action was the next thing I heard. Who were killed and who were left after I got knocked down I cannot say. I tried to patch myself up a little with field dressing while I was in a hole. I didn't make much of a job of it and had to wait for an hour or two and then I managed to make my way to the dressing station. It was slow work but I made it safely through. I was all in when I got there. End quote. Lieutenant James McNeil, who had been the mayor of Vegreville, Alberta, would write home to his wife about the battle, stating that the ground was quivering and throbbing, and that he was in the midst of the wildest bombardment of the world had ever seen. He would sadly lose his life only a short time later. Lance Corporal W.J. Carey, a sniper, would advance with Lieutenant J.C. Andrews and begin firing on the German troops until his rifle barrel was red hot, and he would be awarded the Military Medal for his work in the battle. I hope you enjoyed that episode and our look at the Thief Fall Ridge. If you did, please leave a rating and review. Next week, we're going to look at the Canadian Navy. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. And you can donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Michael Matthews, Joanna Parker, Jeff Dahl, Vobs, Robert Page, Richard D., Colin Johnson, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate. Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Roy, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information comes from CanadianSoldiers.com, Vimy Foundation, Metal Floss, 15th Battalion, CEF.ca, Alberta Past and Present, History of Vegreville, The Story of the Royal Regina Rifles, History of the 16th Battalion, Royal Montreal Regiment, London Times, Vancouver Daily World, Regina Leader Post, The Red Deer News, and The Calgary Herald. Thanks, and we'll see you again 
next time.